Hello again, welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer Podcast. I'm Stephen McGregor. This is episode 17, Designing Positive Cultures at Santander. Uh, so welcome back. Um, not a lot to report on goings on in Barcelona. It's actually only two weeks since we released the second part in the SAP case. Uh, I'm going to take a couple of days holiday next week, which is why this is out a little bit earlier than normal in the month. I'm going to go back to my cycling routes and do the Girona Gran Fondo next weekend. So really looking forward to that uh, and take a few days off. Um, you know, the SAP case uh, is, is getting good attention. That, that was, you know, really interesting case that we put out there. It's the last two episodes uh, of the podcast. So you've got more than one hour of interviews with uh, Toby Haug and, and Danny, Daniel Markweg there who are doing great work at, at SAP on looking at you know, humanizing business, uh, calculating the financial return on well-being and happiness uh, at the company. So, you know, dig into that if you haven't seen it already. Um, and this also links to the community that we're going to try and launch in Barcelona in September. Uh, SAP will host that event uh, and we're looking at just bringing people together who have an interest in these topics, health, well-being, happiness, all of the above within within big business. Uh, so if you're interested in attending that in Barcelona, please get in touch. No costs involved, just the costs of just getting yourself to Barcelona. SAP will host and, and provide catering and hopefully we're going to get a, an event like that uh, each quarter and have a different host. So that's pretty exciting. Um, so moving on, this um, this episode fits perfectly with what we're trying to do in that community in terms of cultures of well-being and also fits perfectly with the second part in the SAP case. You know, a lot of the comments that these guys made in episode 16 was about moving well-being towards a positive culture within the organisation. Uh, and it was great to talk to Dan Strode, who's the global head of strategy and culture at Santander, about what they're doing in this space, right? So the things that they're doing to try and build a healthy, build a positive culture within this massive company. So 202,000 employees, 32 different countries in which they operate, uh, and a lot of things going on. You know, I've known Dan and his boss, who's the global uh, chief HR officer, Roberto De Bernardini, for a couple of years. Uh, you know, we've been very fortunate to have them as a, as a client in the lab. And, um, and they're doing some really good work in terms of their health and well-being program. Uh, firstly, uh, Be Healthy, which is really getting a lot of uh, movement and a lot of energy within the company. Uh, and also culture and leadership, which is really the focus of this interview. Um, so we're looking at the Santander way, which I've used in class the last year or two, been aware of you know, a lot of the things that, that we talk about in this interview, but there was still quite a few surprises for me as well in this conversation with Dan. Um, you know, that Santander way is comprised of eight behaviours. So, you know, uh, the importance of looking at discrete daily behaviours to support culture, which is this much bigger, uh, more complex and invisible to many extents uh, concept and those daily tangible uh, behaviors really help in landing that, but also values, values in the company, uh, and leadership commitments, which was the kind of focus of the last year within human resources. You know, that was uh, a nine-month exercise 
in you know talking to the leaders and I think that's the key right you know they're designing this culture but they're not designing it in this closed room uh, with just a couple of people in HR and deciding what they want to do for the company they're asking the people to design this culture for them so this exercise was nine months uh, long it involved hundreds of leaders throughout the organization and at the end of that process um, it, it you know it, it came down to four leadership commitments um, and you know and even the Dan was really delighted with what came out of that and I think what he says was that it wasn't just the content that he was really happy with uh, but he said it was because it was a real uh, you know represented something different and that was a truly crowdsourced made by the people piece of our culture so I think that was great um, the other thing that really surprised me here as well you know a lot of my work and detailed in sustained executive performance book is in corporate social responsibility you know i did i used to do research in the essay business school and the business ethics department um believe it or not for you know as a scottish engineer um and a lot of what they're doing in santander is looking at the means by which they get results so it's not just results at all costs which i think to an extent over the years in big business has perhaps been the way of doing business it doesn't matter how you do it as long as you succeed and as long as you beat the competition but what's been put in place now currently for the senior leaders in Santander and then being rolled out to the whole organization within the next two to three years is that you're evaluated 50% on what you achieve and 50% on how you achieve it so I think that is a fantastic example which just fits you know it's pioneering it fits very well with this whole context uh, of, of positive organisations, right, and creating that positive culture. Um, so that's about it from me. I'll keep it short and sweet in the intro this time. Uh, this is a great conversation with Dan. I'm very grateful for, for Dan's time. Uh, a little bit of background noise here. I caught him actually uh, just in between a, a conference that he was attending in Barcelona, uh, which was looking at employee experience. So then again, as another link to the past uh, episode with, with SAP. So enjoy this episode. Hopefully see you next month. We're going to be talking to Heineken and the theme will be who owns well-being in the enterprise. So thanks again for tuning in. Enjoy this and keep well, amigos. Bye for now. Ciao. Welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast, Dan. Hi, thanks for having me. So they say that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And in Santander, you're looking at both of these aspects um, in, in, in quite a detailed way. Can you tell us some of the broad areas that you're looking at? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, culture does eat strategy for breakfast. I would say that I'm quite biased uh, in this regard. But actually, they go hand in hand. And I've always said that the cultural transformation of any organisation fits like a glove and goes hand in hand with the business transformation as well. So very aligned and um, what we do in Santander is we look at them through the same lens uh, and we have a very clear human resources strategy which focuses on three elements it focuses on the digitalization of the human resources function it focuses on the size and the shape of the workforce and it focuses on the culture which is the, the kind of glue that underpins everything that, that we look at um, and we're really clear that those three elements are our strategy uh, and they link back to the corporate strategy uh, and the corporate aims of the business as well. So everything's aligned in a really nice way. Yeah. And, you know, I've been pretty impressed with just working with and being aware of, of what you're doing in HR and Santander 
the last couple of years and a lot of our work is looking at how a culture can be more healthy and, and more positive. Um, you know, in terms of those those areas of digitalization and, and, and things like that, you know, how are you ensuring that, that that culture and then aligning with the strategy is is healthy and, and, and is positive in that respect? Absolutely. I, you know, one of the learnings that I've had in the in the past few years is that as long as you align all of the parts of the machine to contribute in the same direction, you get really good outcomes. And I think that's what we're doing and trying to continue to do um, by focusing on these three areas. So for example, um, I like to think that we make decisions based upon our values that we have. So we have three values, simple, personal, and fair. And as long as we keep those in mind for everything we do, we should be okay and we should be going down the right line. And if I just take the first thing I touched upon, which was digitalization of, of the human resources function, you know, as long as we're going into this process, which is a really complex process, with those three values in mind, we're going to have a good outcome. So we're going to simplify processes through this. We're not going to add more complexity, which is, you know, a common trap you can fall into. Yeah. And I think those values, it's for both um, customers or clients and also attracting talent, right? You know, I think you have a stated aim just quite recently that you want to be, um, I think, in the top 10 most attractive employers in every single country in which in which you operate, which is a substantial amount of countries. Absolutely, um, yeah. Um, so... You know that, that that's about and, and digitalization is part of that as well, right? So it's about you know attracting that next generation of talent mm-hmm. when they may be attracted to, you know, in, in your regard, the, the kind of fintech startup and, and 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 other competitors like that. Not even in financial areas, but other sectors as well. Absolutely, that's I mean that's so correct. This is exactly what we're seeing in the market. So when we think of those three human resources priorities they all enable us to be the best bank to work for or to be a top 10 employer uh, in the countries that we operate in. And that's really important to us that we continue down this path because we know we're facing this war for talent. Mm. Um, And what we saw through the second pillar, which was the strategic workforce planning, is we've seen that we have certain skills within the organisation, but we need different skills moving forwards. And we know that some of those skills around digital, for example, are really hard to recruit and attract. So what we've done is we've put in place um, strategies that underpin the findings of the strategic workforce planning, um, which will help us get there. So it could be things like having a very strong employee value proposition, uh, so we have a good brand in the market. It could be things like launching the Young Leaders Programme, which is a programme where we take uh, a number of young people, millennial profiles or younger from the countries and we give them a very intensive training and development program to hopefully build and generate the next pipeline of of leadership within the organization so we're looking at ways of of doing things like that and we know we're competing in a very tough market where you know the the talent could be attracted to another organization so we're looking at things um, with a different lens now being fully aware of this is our direction of travel. Yeah, well, that's interesting. And looking at that, the young leaders part, and everyone talks about millennials and, and this new generation that are, that are coming through, 
Is, is there a difference for you in, in terms of managing these guys or bringing them into leadership positions or different expectations or different ways or, or you need, do you need to create a new environment for example in the workplace what are some of the, the main points that really have to come out yeah yeah I mean it's really interesting so we're probably dealing with four or five different generations of people in the work environment or certainly we will be in the next few years um, and that's an interesting change for all organisations across the globe who've typically had one or two generations um, working for them or one or two types of generation working for them at a specific period of time. So if I look at something like flexi-working, for example, it's interesting and I'm always um, mindful not to only profile people based upon their age because that can give very curious results. So flexi-working as the example, we did a survey with, with our staff population to understand what were their needs in regards to working flexibly. And actually what we found was that irrespective of the generation, everybody had different needs and none of them were completely aligned. And we have this perception out there that the millennials want to work from home and actually whilst they do have certain needs to work from home or work remotely, they were less strong than some of the older generations. So that took us by surprise in the sense of let's not stereotype and, and think one solution fits for one type of person. Actually, we're in a world now where we have to cater for five different generations, but everybody's an individual, and we're really focusing then on the employee experience. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, at the other end of the scale, you're saying five generations and then all of the recent commentary on how we're working, living longer and then working longer within that life. And that's another source of talent and experience, right? Absolutely. I mean, this is such a rich pipeline of talent for us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly young, but I've been in three different divisions of the organisation already. And that, I think, has set me on a good career pathway in the sense of a broad range of experience. And actually, I tried to encourage as many people as possible to move from one area to another. So you're not necessarily a person that works in the risk division. You have skills that you can take somewhere else now. And we need to become more focused on skills of people instead of siloing them. And that will help us be a more effective organisation as well as we break down those barriers because Peter and Paul move from one place to another and they keep the relationships and they strengthen um, the and community. You, yeah, and you empathise, right? If, yeah. you, if you see, and, and it happens to everyone, you're so um, you know, deep in the work on a day-to-day basis, it's very, it's very easy to lose a full appreciation of what the problems or pain points are for someone in another, in another function or another role. So when you do rotate like that, you can really understand and empathise with and get a broader understanding of what the, what the job is and what, how the company operates. I mean, this is why we've put a really big focus on international mobility in recent, recent years. Um, we've got many different types of international mobility within the organisation. But one of the interesting ones that I'd immediately um, tell you about is something that we we do with our more junior colleagues where we move them to another country for a period of three months Mm -hmm. and it's called Santander Mundo, so around the world. And it's an interesting programme because it gives people a new experience and a new flavour and that's got to be good for the organisation and the individual's careers. Yeah, and you know, as both UK expats who now live in Spain, <laughs> and, and we're very aware of that 
point, and then with, with children that were born in Spain, right? Um, that, you know, and a lot of the research points to the fact that you become more open-minded when you travel to another country, and even when you learn another language, because then you start realising yeah. another language, there's no perfect translation, it's, a, it's an approximation of how you say something. Yeah. So it gives you that broader understanding of what people are trying to say. And in this day and age, when we're working in these international teams and clients and, and, that, and that mobility is just part of, of society today, then that's going to help there. Going back a couple of points to, you know, you touched on employee experience, which is, of course, a big focus on the last episode with SAP. Um, I mean, is that just one of the, the key functions in HR that you're, um, you know, you're challenging assumptions? For example, it's not just a case that millennials like you know, working from home, for example, but you're just keeping those channels open, that you're able just to communicate with them, they feel that they can, you know, um, relay any problems that they may be having. How, how do you keep an eye on the experience on a, on a general level? Absolutely. That's one of our key focuses at the moment, because we know that if you improve the employee experience, you improve, improve the employee engagement. And that's a key driver then of business results and business uh, performance and you know one of the things that I've learned is we have to be really clear in what we're doing we have to listen to the feedback of our people so our people must be generating crowdsourcing ideating everything that we're doing in that respect um, and we're really keen to do that so we have global engagement surveys we have pulse surveys we have informal ad hoc things um, you know for example let me tell you about our culture uh, in a little bit of depth you know we have something called the Santander way which is our cultural framework and it encompasses the aim and the purpose of the organization so the strategy part and then it encompasses the three values of simple personal affair and we have eight behaviors which underpin those. So eight things that people can do in their day to day, which will really help us be simple personal affair. But then last year, we realized that, you know, probably we had a bit of a gap on leadership. And we, re we realized that from speaking to the HR leads in the countries, we realized it from looking at the global engagement survey. Our people were telling us their managers or their leaders were not performing to the levels um, that they could be and our managers and leaders told us they wanted to perform at a higher level given tools and support so actually we said let's create a set of leadership commitments um, to help them and to develop them and around that training and so on and so forth but we didn't do it by going to bed one night and waking up with the answer what we did was a nine-month project um, where we, we took in hundreds of people from all of the countries and we did focus groups, we did surveys, we did sessions with them on what do you want a leader to look like, what are the skills that are needed. We looked at what the countries had as individual units, we looked at best practice in the market and in the end we came up with four leadership commitments which we we're really proud of. But I'm most proud of them, not because of what they are, but what they represent, which is a truly crowdsourced, made by the people piece of our culture. Yeah, no, that that's great. Um, you know, I, I I talk about this process that other organisations have done in class. Sometimes, you know, Uber when the new Uber CEO came in, and they really had to change their their culture from this very aggressive startup culture to some and and less you know perceptions of exploitation and things like that to 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 a culture that was more positive and and, and more caring, right? And there's a lot of work there, of course, but they did 
do this big exercise with you know hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of employees rather and I think even with Santander it was a bigger it was a bigger exercise to do you know yeah. 202,000 employees of course you're not involving all of those employees in, in the exercise but it was still a significant exercise and thanks for you, you beat me to that to dig into the culture part because I have been aware of the Santander way um, you know for a couple of years now um, and even if we look at some of the literature like PricewaterhouseCoopers they say forget about tackling culture head-on because it's this big, messy, complex um, uh, concept which is difficult to manage and, and even more difficult to change, but focus instead on a lot of some of the keystone critical behaviours which are representative of that culture. Um, so when I found these eight behaviours in the Santander way a couple of years ago, I was so delighted that I could use that <laughs> within the concept of this, of this framework. Can, can we go back a step? Can, what, what are the eight behaviours? Sure. Yeah, well, putting, this, putting you on the spot this here, you right? On the spot, but, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what they are in the sense of. Um, let, let me let me tell you the eight. So we have. It's like speak clearly, right? Yeah. So so let me go through them, and I'll, I'll find the best way to go through them. So, the first one is actively collaborate. Yeah. The second is bring passion. Yeah. The third is embrace change. Uh, then we have keep promises, show respect support people talk straight and truly listen yeah so they're, they're things that are not unusual things they're not things that you know take you you know a million miles in the distance but they're things that if you do them day in day out they can have a tangible impact yeah and probably most people do them most of the time so what we're asking is we're asking for people to be aware of when you're not doing them when you're having a bad day when you're with a tricky customer, when you're finding a problem uh, in your supply chain, all the day-to-day -day scenarios that we face, you know, maybe we're under pressure at home. There's many situations, and we just want to position in the front of people's mind those behaviours. Yeah, because the thing is, they, it's, it's not that you're just giving, this, giving you know, the, these behaviours to people to squeeze more out of them, but it's actually in the interests of the people themselves, right? So, yeah. for example, I think, you know, linking to a lot of the recent um, attention on mental health, for example, you know, I think if you're having, as you say, a difficult time at work, talking with a supplier or with a client or whatever, then these eight behaviours, they're simple, they're easy to action, and I think they mm -hmm. would get you through a kind of a tricky situation. Yeah. Um, so I think you know the, the clarity in that is is impressive, and I think the other aspect is is the daily, is is the day to day behaviours, right? And and I think especially when we have culture, we have strategy, we have the mission or the vision or values of a company, you know, the, the kind of long term picture is the one that comes to mind more readily. We're, we're used to looking at the business quarter and financial results, yeah. or the or the year ahead or the five year plan. But if you look at the day. And we've done that, you know, in Barcelona in the lab for many years in terms of health and well-being. What are the daily habits that you do? Then I think that helps, uh, uh, you know, to a massive extent. You know, it's a really interesting um, story or case study from from within our organisation. We we launched a recognition scheme um, probably about two years ago now, and completely internal, peer to peer, so colleague to colleague, not linked to any monetary award or anything like that. But we launched this scheme so people could recognize great behaviors when they saw them in the moment. And actually, I'm delighted to say that we've recognized over 1.5 million. Yeah, there's a million and a half great behaviors in just a couple of years um, from people who've said, I want to say thank you to this colleague for displaying a great behavior. And that's really interesting because um, 
you know, what you recognise is repeated. So it becomes like a self-fulfilling cycle and the organisation gets a stronger and stronger culture from a simple recognition. Yeah, and, and that's great. I, ne- I never knew that you had that aspect um, of recognition. I knew there was an evaluation uh, yeah. for people, a 360-degree evaluation in accordance with those behaviours. Does that work well? Yeah, so, so let's talk about this because this is interesting. Um, I think that we're one of the first, if not the first banks, to have a uh, model of performance management where you're assessed 50% on what you've delivered and 50% on how you've delivered. So, you know, that's really, really fantastic. That sends an absolutely clear message that how you do things and the culture and the behaviours that you display are fundamental to your success and and career progress and so on and so forth. Um, And we're really heartened by the results of this. We've we've implemented this three years ago um, and we're rolling it out actually next year as part of the HR digital transformation to 50% of the people in the group. And the year after will be nearly 100% of people having this evaluation. The last three years has been focused on our top uh, leaders in the organization and of course that's a great place to start because it sends a very clear message to the leadership and then from the leadership that this is how we want people to be um, you know how you do things is, is fundamental how you interact with your people with your clients is the success and you, you look at the other companies that are great now in terms of service apple amazon so on and so forth it's about people so we're moving away from um, you know, you, in order to be great at your job many years ago, you had to be strong. Now you have to be quite brainy to be great at your job. Well, I think now and in the future, certainly in the next years, you will have to be emotionally intelligent. You will have to be a human person with human uh, characteristics that cares about people. Absolutely. So yeah. having a heart, basically. Yeah, and, and, and the irony in the machine age is going to be our human qualities that will, that will make the difference. Completely. Um, that how, that 50% on the how is just fantastic. You know, if we think about designing a healthy, positive culture, um, you know, so many large companies and successful companies have been characterised by just results at all costs, right? As long yeah. as you, um, you, you you have the, you know, keep shareholders happy or you, you, you just keep growing a certain percentage of turnover, whatever it may be, but just that 50% on the how is just, it's fantastic. Um, so that, that, that's the behaviours um, and that's the process by which you design the culture. But as you say, um, you know, a few points ago, there was that gap that you had identified in terms of leadership and then you came through the leadership commitments. Um, was that just, what, what, was some, what, was this, what was some more details on that gap? Was it just that you had to have the, the formal leaders in the organisation who were just being kind of, um, you know, real figureheads for those behaviours and the culture? Was it in, in, in terms of pushing back on those behaviours? What what was the leadership gap that you identified? You know, it was actually leaders coming under more and more pressure in their day-to-day roles and saying that they wanted more support in discharging their responsibilities. And probably the, the heartening thing was that they were saying, I'm actually aware that I need to develop my people and support my teams, encourage them to prosper. I'm aware that I need to drive digital transformation and take you know uh, risks within boundaries and bust through bureaucracy in the organization i'm aware that i need to lead by example but can you help me do those things yeah and then the four commitments putting you on the, the Put spot on again the spot. So, um, <laughs> there's being, less of them so there's yeah. less of them so th- this, this we can go through quicker but being open inclu- 
open and inclusive is our first. So this one's a really important one to us because 202,000 employees in 32 different countries. We have a fantastic range of you know, not just diversity, but opinions, knowledge, experience that we need to pull upon in order to make great decisions and align with our customers' needs. The second one is inspiring and executing transformation, which, you know, is really important. We need to change. I'm sure that the bank today, um, if we stay exactly as we are, will not be a bank in the future. So doing that transformation, especially around digital, is critical. Then the third one um, is leading by example. So this reinforces the message about leading the Santander way, living the three values and the eight behaviours. As a leader, you are a figurehead and a role model for, for these, this way of working. And then the fourth one is encouraging your team to prosper. So not thinking about individual achievement, thinking about team achievement, thinking about development and career paths and growth, and thinking about yourself and your own growth as well, um, and the value you can get from developing others. So they're the four commitments. Um, and like I say, we're really proud because they seem to make sense, but they were made by our people for our people. Yeah. So, you know, bringing this to to, to close, um, what's next? I mean, is it a case of, you know, you've had this design phase and, and you have a, this fantastic framework in place, which is relatively new. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there'll still be more bumps in the road going ahead. Um, what is the focus for you in the next couple of years? Is it, you know, measuring this, making sure it's going in the right direction, really diffusing it to, to everyone without the org- throughout the organisation? What, what, yeah. What's in your agenda now? You know, the agenda is consistency. So we're really clear on this. Our values are not going to change. We're not going to have a change in direction. We need to be absolutely consistent. Uh, you touched upon it earlier. Moving an organisation with this many people is like moving an oil tanker in the ocean. You need to do it with a lot of space and a lot of time and open water. So these things do take time. Um, They need to embed. We need to give people the opportunity to learn about them and develop the skills in those pathways. So consistency is, is the clear message on this. That's great. Anything else that you'd like to add? I mean, wish, wishes for you in the future? Um, anything else that you'd like to see, even outside Santander? I don't know. Uh-huh. What do you think? Well, one, one of the things that's interesting for us at the moment is we have an internal brand called Be Healthy. And this is our health and wellness program, completely aligned to culture. And you've been helping us a lot on this. And um, it's a fundamental piece of our strategy and our culture um, transformation. And we believe that the health of our organisation is the health of our people. And we launched the Be Healthy brand two, two and a half years ago. So we're now in the embedding phase and we're doing fantastic things. I mean, when I look to what the countries are doing, it's unbelievable. And I'd love to consolidate this further because, um, you know, I'm seeing over in Argentina, I'm seeing preemptive um, breast screening. In Mexico, I'm seeing blood analysis and blood donation. In the UK, you know, we have the MasterChef champion, by the way, working in one of our branches. (laughs) So he's teaching us how to do healthy cooking. Uh, In Spain, we're doing the, you know, the popular races in the communities. So we're getting together with our communities that we operate in and our customers and we're doing fun races. Um, So there's a huge amount going on there. And I really want to keep that momentum going because absolutely when we have a healthy workforce, we're going to have great results and a great organisation. And people are telling us, as a driver of engagement, this is a critical factor. No, I mean, it's been a privilege working with you guys in Be Healthy and even thinking about the last episode whereby Toby and Daniel talked about that 
it was the local um, details that were important. I'm noting in some of those examples that it's the same case, that you're empowering a lot of these local branches to find out the initiatives that work best for them, that, that bring Be Healthy alive. You have the global brand, yeah. right? You have this centralised management, let's say. You have the, the, the brand, which is very recognisable, and you're just letting people get on with it, right? Is that one of the, the keys? Yeah, that, that, that's a key to the success, I think. Little nudges to the people and a, and a global and a clear, consistent message and brand. But working in an organisation that's so distributed uh, in the physical terms, um, you have a challenge because you can't centralise everything. But what you learn very quickly is people are passionate about this subject and if you give them just a little bit of empowerment, the things they come up with are absolutely fantastic. I mean, I've seen um, some branches doing linking Be Healthy to charity donations and it's fantastic watching them cycle um, miles and miles on a static bi uh, bike in the branches collecting money for charity in their communities. You couldn't ask for a better combination. Yeah, no, the mo it, it just motivates people right there. It brings their passion, Absolutely. it brings their passion to work. And as touching on one of your previous points, if we can just bring more of our human selves to the workplace and more of that heart, then you know we're happier and we're healthier and the business is going to prosper as well, right? Absolutely. Look after your people and the, the rest will just take care of itself. So many thanks, Dan. That's, that's been a fantastic um, conversation. Really wishing you the best of luck going into the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. Same to you.